Okay, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 18, and we're going to read, first of all, verses 1 through 8. The title is Privilege and Responsibility, and we're going to try to make it through the entire chapter. Um, If you are coming out on Wednesday nights, we are going to be at Luke chapter 9, verse 18 this coming week. Some, Some key verses that talk about discipleship, but you can read ahead to the end of the chapter. But here we are in Genesis chapter 18. And let's read these verses, and we see that Abraham enjoys fellowship with heavenly guests. Then the Lord appeared to him by the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, If I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. And I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and that you may pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. They said, do as you have said. So Abraham, verse 6, hurried into the tent to Sarah and said, quickly make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it. And make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd, took a tender and good calf, gave it to the young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared, set it before them, and stood by them under the trees as they ate. So as we look at this, we're going to find out that who Abraham is actually meeting with is we get the identity of all three of these people. In verse 23, we know that one of the visitors is the Lord himself, God. And as you look at verse 23, I've mentioned this a couple of times as we've gone, um, gone through this. Is that verse 23? I'm saying verse 23, but I don't think that it is. It's not verse 23. You'll have to find it. We'll find it as we read it. I wrote down the wrong reference. Um, Verse 17, actually, there it is. It says, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? And notice that it says, the the word Lord is in all caps, which is a way of referring to not master, but to uh, Yahweh, Jehovah, the, the, the name of the Lord. And so we know that one of these that he's meeting with is the Lord. It is Yahweh himself. In chapter 19, verse 1, let's see if I got that one correct. Um, Yes, and two angels came to Sodom. So there's three of them. So you have two angels and you have the Lord himself that are there at the the tent meeting with Abraham. Abraham. And um, this excited him. This got him up, you know, resting there in the heat of the day. And yet this moves him. Actually, just, just look at that. In verse 1. He's sitting. It's a hot day, you know, business as usual. It's an uncomfortable part of the day. And so he's just sitting there. But then in verse 2, halfway through, we see that he ran. And then we see in verse 6 that Abraham hurried. Still in verse 6, he said to Sarah, quickly. In verse 7, Abraham ran to the herd. And then he hastened it at the end of verse 7. And then in verse 8, he stood by them under the tree as he ate. So everything changed. 
I mean, it's just kind of, you get this mellow yellow day going on. It's a hot day, hanging out in the tent, waiting for the cool air of the evening to come. And, and the Lord comes into the scene and all of that, that inactivity suddenly gets thrust into all kinds of activity. Because a guest has arrived. Not just any guest. This is the sixth meeting recorded in Scripture that Abraham has had with the Lord. When he saw the Lord coming, he was aware who it was. He knew that this was the Lord himself. And this changed everything. It changed his relaxing afternoon into a, a busy afternoon. Probably the last thing you would want to do in the heat of the day is start running around and field dressing an animal and butchering it up and cooking and doing all of this activity quickly. Yet the presence of the Lord demanded that on his heart. It's not that the Lord came and said, hey, fix me something. I need something to eat. No, just knowing that it was a presence of the Lord, that created the demand within Abraham. The potential to meet with the Lord, to have him as a guest at his house, to prepare a meal, it changed everything. He could have given a bunch of excuses. I've named a few. He could have said, hey, I'm old. Come on over here, Lord. You know, we've met before. Good to have you. This is a common thing. Come on over. Nothing's common about his activity, is there? Everything that he does, it goes, the, the scene goes from relaxing to high intensity. Got to get ready. Got to meet with the Lord. Um, this should speak to us. His desire for fellowship should speak to us. And it should create that question in our own heart and mind. Is how do I respond when I know that I get to meet with the Lord? How do I respond when mom and dad say, let's go to the house of the Lord? I don't want to go to church. You know, how do you respond when your wife says or your husband says, let's go to church? I don't want to go to church. Careful what you say. Because coming to church, this is the Lord's idea. And where does the Lord inhabit. He inhabits the praises of his people and he walks in the midst of his lampstand. There should be an excitement. There should be an uptick of intensity. Even if it is the heat of the day when everybody's worn out and everybody's sitting down, the Lord, he changes that. He changes the way we approach him. He changes the way our activity is going because he is worthy of it. And so we run. I, again, we were, as we go through Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 40, um, as Jesus is coming back to a town, Capernaum, they see the boat coming, and it says they were waiting for him, and they were welcoming him. And that is exactly what we see here with Abraham. He wasn't necessarily waiting for him, but boy, does he welcome them to the, his house. And he spends that time. I pray that the potential of meeting with Jesus... There's no ho-hum experience for you. Now, let's be honest, though. If you've been walking with the Lord for many years, you know that you can easily... You know, rails are good to, to run our life on, right? Rails are a good thing. Ruts are not a good thing. And, and so if you have the rails of continual, my quiet time, and fellowship night, and church on Sunday, and whatever those rails are that allow your spiritual life to run on, great. But if it's those rails have turned more into a rut 
meaning you're just kind of mindlessly going through the motions, then may today the Lord awaken your heart to the high privilege and responsibility we have to run after him and to prepare our hearts. I don't want to make too much of it. He's sitting there in the heat of the day, and he's just the idea is that he's just relaxing, right? He's resting. And the presence of the Lord comes, and he quickly identifies it. And I, I won't, I won't, I'll just raise my hand for all of us. Where is the relaxing in our day? So that when the Lord does speak, we can actually know that it's him. Where is that time where we're quiet enough that when God would whisper into our ear and say something, that we could say, yes, Lord, is that you? But so often there is so much activity going on. There is so much noise. And it maybe is not bad noise. I'm not even thinking about sinful things. I'm just thinking about you know, the, the rat race of life where we're just going and going and going. And, and the Lord, I believe, speaks to us and, and, and we don't even realize it. I mean, the Lord has, in the last couple of months, has showed up in my life in some ways that um, I'm just so thankful for. And that he's spoken to me. And I'm just like, you know, I think that's the Lord. And I'm just going to act upon that. And then to, to actually see in time that that was the Lord. But I know for me that my life can become so busy with ministry and counseling appointments and planning and mission trips and all this, that the time to actually just have the Lord come up to the, the flap of my tent and say, hey, Troy, you have some time. Dangerously, it's like, you know, I'm busy. But I think there's a beautiful model here. We need to give ourselves that opportunity that the Lord can come and meet with us, that He can. And there ought to be a response of our heart that is full of excitement, that is full of joy. There's an interesting passage in the New Testament, and I am not being dogmatic on this, but there was some event in Abraham's life that the Lord refers to where He says that Abraham saw me. Look at in John chapter 8, verses 56 through 59. It says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So, Maybe it is this occasion that the Lord is thinking of. Because we have a, a physical appearance of the Lord in the Old Testament. And so, as we've talked about these before, a Christophany, a Theophany, an appearance of God in human flesh in the Old Testament. And in, at some point, the, one of these meetings is what's being referred to. And maybe this is the one. Because we certainly see some rejoicing going on here. We certainly see some excitement in Abraham with the idea of meeting with the Lord. John Phillips in his commentary says, No gathering of the Lord's people is to be regarded as routine, as a routine, ordinary event. What a sense of reverence and awe and expectancy. And he goes on to say, How deplorable it is that professing Christians should allow themselves a familiarity with holy things that breeds contempt. That was the problem in the book of Malachi. 
If you want to read the book, if you've never read the book of Malachi, it's that last sentence. As that holy things had become so familiar, they became contemptible things. Serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord and preparing the sacrifice. That was a problem with the priests and Malachi's day. But awaken yourself. You know, for a, ch- a particular church in, the, uh, in, in Revelation, church at Laodicea, they got to a place where they said that they had everything that they had need of. They were the self-sufficient church. He says, we have need of nothing. And the Lord says, actually, you have need of everything. You're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, and you're naked. <laughs> you think you have all of these things together, but you have none of it. And it's to this self-sufficient church that Jesus found himself on the outside knocking and asking to come in and to what? Sup with them and have a meal. That deep um, activity of fellowship and intimacy. And he was on the outside still asking. So if you find yourself this morning saying, well, I have allowed myself to become so busy with the things of this world or even the things that are just part of my life. They're not sinful, but I'm just, I'm not meeting with the Lord. I am not excited about meeting with the Lord. Church seems like more of a burden than a blessing. There's no anticipation in my heart. Then understand that the Lord is there knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, well, let's get together again. Let's fellowship. Let's spend some time in prayer, reading my word, me revealing myself to you. In John 14, verses 21 through 27, this is exactly what he says he wants to do. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance the things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Lord wants to manifest himself to us. You can read this story and say, wow, could you imagine if the Lord showed up at our house today? Now, physical appearance of the Lord, obviously pretty exciting stuff. I would be excited too. But there is this promise of that spiritual interaction and fellowship that is available to us at all times to meet with the Lord, to go behind the veil, to come into the holy place, and to commune with him. We need to do this. We must take the time to do what Abraham is doing. And when it's in the heat of the day and things are pressing down and it's the most inconvenient time and yet you feel and you sense this thought, take some time to be with the Lord. Go take some time and be with the Lord. Meet with him. He wants to meet with you. He's our friend. John 15, 15 says, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Friends share information. 
And he says, you're my friends, and I've shared everything that the Father gave me to share. I've, I've given it all. Or how about Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. That sounds pretty exciting. The opportunity to go and meet with the God of the universe, and he promises to show us things. <laughs> True story, I've shared it before many years ago now, probably 30 years ago as a matter of fact, I was um, in Sydney, Australia, in my flat, 6 Stroke 7 Doombin Avenue. And I was uh, there meeting with, uh, just praying to, to the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, is it time for us to come home from the mission field? I'd like to know. And, and the Lord just says, just call, ask me. I'm like, Lord, you know, I'm by myself. But this is the way the conversation says, Lord, you know, you like to say wait a lot. And I really am not in the wait kind of a mode. I, I just, I want to hear. I mean, things are getting to a place where I've got to make a decision one way or the other. And um, he just said, you know, call. And I, I, I was just went to this verse. I felt led. I don't remember how I got to it, but I got to this verse. And he says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. My response was, oh, Lord, you're just going to say Wait. And, um, but I saw my Bible at cross-reference, and so I turned to it, Jeremiah 20, 13. And it says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. My posture changed at that very moment. And I went to my knees, I went to my face, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm seeking you. I want to know. I want to hear from you. I want to have the next. And we ended up coming home shortly after that. That's how the Lord led. But while I was doing this, <laughs> um, somebody knocked on the door and it was a good friend uh, Graham Fernance and he walked in the door and uh, I can't remember, he just was driving by he goes hey I was driving by I just wanted to say hello and, um, and they knew we were praying about whether we were going to stay in Australia and maybe go plant a church or whether we were going to come home and he goes what's going on and I said well you know I'm just praying I'm seeking the Lord and I just and I told him what had just happened and I'm like, so, I, and he goes, well, I guess you're going home. I said, you think so? And he goes, are you kidding me? He goes, are you kidding me? You've been praying. You've been seeking the Lord. And you just had this. You're going, you need to go home. And um, the Lord was so good to not only speak to my heart, but then to bring um, a godly man um, and a good friend to the door just to confirm the word that he spoke to my heart. So I don't know. Maybe you're in that place where you're like, yeah, you know, seek the Lord, seek the Lord, seek the Lord. But I don't ever hear from him. Seek the Lord and you'll hear from him. He, will, he wants to reveal. Did you see what we just read? That, that I will come and I will manifest myself to you. You're my friend. I tell you everything. Sounds pretty inviting, doesn't it? This is the heart of the Lord. Develop that fellowship time with God. Set the time aside in the heat of the day just to allow the Lord. Now, sometimes you're going to read and you're going to pray and you're just going to go through... Um, the discipline of that, and it's going to be providing strength and nourishment to you. But then there'll be those moments when the Lord appears in just wonderful ways. But set the time aside and even begin to think more often through the day. Lord, have you spoken to me today? Because I have, I've just finally said, wait, that, you're, you spoke to me and I'm like, I'm totally missed it. And just to slow it down and ask, spend some time praying. And this is what I mean by praying. Yes, get your prayer list out and intercede. But this is what I would encourage you to do. 
is take your Bible out, read a couple of verses, and just sit there. And say, Lord, do you have something for me in this? Is there something that you want to do in my heart through what I'm reading? Is there a model in this person's life? Is there a promise? Is there, Lord, what is it that you're saying to me? So pray, read, ponder, have Bible study with other people like you're doing right now. So what a, what a joy it was for Abraham to have this interaction with these heavenly guests. We continue this story. We come back to a familiar theme in Abraham's life, and the Lord's going to reaffirm that he's soon to have a child. Now, based upon what we read last week and that um, it was going to be a year from chapter 17 that he would have a child. We get into chapter 18. So a short amount of time has elapsed. Okay, so just think in terms of weeks and months, not like years. So verse 9 through 15, we're going to find out nothing is too hard for the Lord. Then they, will, then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now listen, if it's a tent, he knows she can hear, right? These are not, you know, thick walls. It's just, it's just a tent. Where's your, she's in here. Oh, okay. This is for her. And so I will return according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why does Sarah laugh? <laughs> Caught, right? You know, why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, you did laugh. You might not have done it out loud, but I heard it. <laughs> and this is what we see with Jesus so often, is he, he knows what's going on in, in a person's thought, which is great, because that means you can be in that business meeting and you can be praying. That means you can be at school and you can be praying. You can be in the midst of a conflict and you can be praying. You can be witnessing and you can be communing and talking with the Lord and shooting up those arrows and shooting up those you know, quick little prayer requests. Oh, push, Lord, we need you. And he hears you and he can speak to you and give you guidance and direction in that very moment. But in this case, she's caught. You know, she's cynical. She doesn't think that what she's hearing can actually be done. And so she laughs at the scene. And the Lord says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Uh, the Hebrew word here actually means wonderful, extraordinary, surpassing. Think about that. And this author goes on. Uh, this is from uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum. And he says, literally, it can be uh, written, is anything too wonderful for God to do? Is any, I mean, this is a great promise. Oh, that's not her. Are you saying that God can't do this wonderful thing? God can bring the good stuff into your life. And there is an element of Sarah in all of us. Let's be honest. Some, for, and it's in varying degrees, hopefully depending on your, how long you've walked with the Lord, 
But what can so often happen is we don't expect the wonderful things from God. We don't expect the marvelous things from God. We don't expect he's going to show up and bless our life in some way. Now, for Abraham and Sarah, they've been waiting for many, many years. And it seems like this will never happen. And so it's like, you're saying I can't do wonderful things in your life? It's too hard for me to show up and, and surprise you with a blessing? Of course, he's being, they keep getting these announcements. I don't know what it is maybe in your life where you really need the Lord to show up. And you're thinking, yeah, but he won't. He won't do that. Why? Why? What's that? Why, why would you say that? Now, maybe what you're desiring, what you're asking is not in the will of the Lord. We've all prayed those prayer requests. Lord, we beg you, we ask you to do this. And six months later, we're like, hallelujah, you did not listen to me. That would have been a nightmare. Thank you, Lord. I, I mean, I, I like to tell the Lord, you have line item veto on anything in my prayers you want to. I mean, if I pray for something and it's not right, just line right through it, pick up the parts that are right, and move on ahead or just bring something else in. The Lord is able and wants to work in our lives. But we got to call upon Him. We need to seek Him. And so have that confidence. Trust that he's going to do this. But, you know, one of the big things is maybe we struggle with the character and the nature of God, thinking that he wouldn't do a marvelous or a wonderful thing. Or maybe it's just fear that grips our heart. There's fear. That could never, I don't even want to hope in it. I don't want to hope in it because if I hope in that, then I might be disappointed. But wait a minute. We're called to be a people of what? Faith. We're a faith-based people. We are gathered to here because of our mutual faith in the Lord. We know his character and we know his nature. And we know, as the psalmist has said, that he withholds what? No good thing. Some of you know it. All of us need to know it. And the Lord will withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. The Lord wants to bless your life. And we should have this expectation. Examine your prayer life. When you pray, Who are you praying to? A loving Heavenly Father that you're confident, wants to meet your every need, wants to do marvelous things, and nothing is too hard for Him? Or does your prayer sound like you're praying to a man that you've got to convince of the worthiness of the thing you're praying for? And do you believe that He's a hard salesman and you've really got to go and show Him all the reasons why He ought to do it? Here's Here's the thing. You don't have to convince God to bless you. Did you know that? Praise the Lord for that. You don't have to convince him to show his favor and his grace upon you. He's he's already concluded, I'm going to bless my people. That is his heart. So you don't have to convince him. You don't have to try and, you know, uh, uh, in a a prayer, just saying, now, Lord, if you would do this, there are many things that can be done for your kingdom. If you would just make this investment into my life, then I can make this investment into your kingdom. And you'll be so blessed with all the things. That, who are you praying to? You're, not, that, you're praying to the wrong guy. You're, you, you know, you, you're praying to that, you know, that hardcore benefactor that has to see the worthiness of the person that's asking. Tight fist. You've got to pry those fingers open. If the Lord has told us to have open hands to one another, Don't you think that he models the same for us and that his hands are wide open to us? Now, yeah, I know. People have taken this and they've turned it into something 
that really is nothing but to fulfill lust, and you're, you know, so you're going to be rich, and you're going to be wealthy, and you're going to have more than anybody else. Listen, with food and clothing, you should be content. This is what the New Testament says. I think most, most of us in here have a lot more than food and clothing, and we should find contentment there. But the Lord's desire is to bless, and don't be so foolish as to measure the blessings of the Lord by material things in your life. It is much, much more than that that the Lord wants to bless us with. So nothing is too marvelous for the Lord to be able to do. Nothing is too wonderful for the Lord to be able to do in your life. Oh, he wouldn't do that. Why? You think it's too, too marvelous? You think it's too wonderful? Well, the Lord would say, I, I can do it. I want to do it. Moving on, verse 16. We'll read verses 16 through 21. And the Lord begins to reveal. So we've talked about the privilege there of, of fellowship. But now we're going to talk about the responsibility. It says, then, though, then the men rose from there and looked towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him, that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. So the Lord is about to reveal that he's got a plan. Now we saw that Jesus says, you're my friends, I've told you everything. But there's an interesting verse in Amos, Amos 3, 7. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Write it down, ponder it, got to, got to move on. But just, it's a neat verse to ponder. Verse 20 and 21, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that is against it that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So wickedness has brought judgment. When uh, uh, Abel... When Cain killed Abel, the, the blood of, the, of, of uh, Abel cried out to the Lord. And now there's a cry that's going from those that are being oppressed by Sodom and Gomorrah. They are working the, the poor. Ezekiel 16 verses 48 through 50 gives us a little insight about what was going on. Chapter 19 is going to give us a lot of insight about what was going wrong in Sodom. But in Ezekiel, it says, As I live, says the Lord, neither your sister Sodom nor your, her daughters have done as you and your daughters have done. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. So this is kind of a, it's making a, a parallel um, to Ephraim, the northern tribe. She and her daughter had pride, full, had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and needy. And they were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So in looking at what happened to the northern tribes and using the name Sodom, you get an idea of probably some of the other things. Well, the next section, verses 22 through 23, Abraham begins to intercede. He knows that judgment's about to come upon Sodom, but he has family there. Lot is living there, Remember? And so he begins to pray. And as you go through these verses, he's, he's like bargaining with the Lord. 
Verse 22, it says, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood. So the angels went, but the Lord stays. And Abraham came near and said, Would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? That's the question. That's the key point. Underline it. Ponder it. Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And then Abraham begins to negotiate. He goes, you know, he goes from there, from 50, he goes to uh, 45, keeps working his way down till he gets to 10. And he says in verse 32, Let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. He's thinking, well, count all the daughters and sons up. Lot's got to be good then for those 10. But that's not the case. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So he went back there and the angels went. And we'll pick up the story next week. Why did the Lord have to come down to find out whether or not what was going on in Sodom was actually true. He doesn't even make it to Sodom. He doesn't even go. He says, I've come to find out. The cries come up to me and to see if these things are true. Really, there's a, there's a big word, anthropomorphic language. And the idea is that you take on um, words and actions of a man and you apply them to God. And so this is one of those things that um, the Lord knows all things, right? What, what's he going to actually learn? So what is the point then? Well, the point was fellowship. The point was a reaffirmation of the promise. But the point was also this. Judgment is coming, which causes the outcome I think the Lord was looking for. And what is the outcome? Intercession by a righteous man. I think you know the point we're going to end with here. The Lord has told us what's coming to this world. We are those that he has revealed the, the coming days of judgment that will come upon this world. And, and he wants us to be those that are the mediators, the go-betweens, the one that is bringing the gospel to people and saying, listen to the word of the Lord. Be reconciled to him. And this is a responsibility. We should fill that same heaviness of heart to intercede for people. Now the answer to the question is, would the Lord judge the righteous with the, with the wicked? The answer is no. Now the city is not going to be spared, but there will be um, four that make their way out. Only three are going to make their way out. Um, but the Lord spares them. Think about this. That was true in Noah's day. He found eight and in, an ark was built, and he spared them. How about the, uh, uh, the children of Israel in the land of Egypt? The plagues were coming, and yet they were preserved. How about um, those that were carried away early to Babylon, like Daniel, like Ezekiel, before the judgment fell? 
Them being carried away was because they were, the, as the parable goes, they were the good figs. They were the good ones. Or you can think about the 144,000 Jews that will be sealed during the Great Tribulation. And I believe this also applies to the, to the bride of Christ, the church, and that she will not endure the wrath of God during the Great Tribulation. So the answer is no, God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. There is privilege and there is responsibility. The privilege is you get to meet with the Lord. You get to encounter him. You get to have him reveal himself to you. And that is a privilege. But with that privilege of meeting with the Lord and him showing you his servant all things that the Father has shown him and not keeping things back but revealing them to you and we know what's coming, there should be this sense of responsibility we have to pray up and preach up and let people know how to be, get right with the Lord. It's tragic. In chapter 19, we will see this. And we're going to spend a few weeks there. I've told you this um, probably about a month or two ago. We're going to take some time to, of course, study the chapter itself. But we're also going to take some time to talk about sexuality and um, gender and homosexuality and lesbianism. And we're going to talk about these things in this chapter because I believe it's an appropriate place for us to slow down and talk about it. So if you have questions specifically, you can email the church office. And we're doing our best to bring all of these questions and bring some answers to them. Um, not saying I've got answers for everything, but there is a lot of truth that we have before us in Scripture that should lead us and guide us on that topic. So that's what's coming next week. But our hearts should have this sense of heaviness for seeing what's going on. And we shouldn't have a sense, well, we're okay, and we're saved, and we're redeemed, and we're fine. You know, oh, well, too bad for Lot. I guess he shouldn't have chose the, the plain of Sodom. No. Abraham's heart is heavy. There's no, well, that serves you right. Mm -mm. He is crying out to the Lord for Lot and his family. And maybe there's somebody that you want to cry out to the Lord for. And that's how I want to close this service this morning is I just want to take a moment and just to pray together. Maybe there is a, a person you know that is not in a good place. They used to walk with Jesus. They used to have their eyes on the Lord. They used to meet with him. They would have been in here. They would have loved the service. They would have loved the gathering, the worship. And, and you know that. But boy, they are just a million miles away from the Lord right now. Something has happened in their heart. Something, an experience that took place and they didn't handle it properly. They didn't process it through the word of God and through the nature of God. And now they have this wrong view of the Lord or maybe they've just got caught up in their lust. They've got caught up with the, the, the wickedness that goes on around them in Sodom. And you need to pray for them. Maybe they've just turned away from the Lord altogether. The Lord has told us to intercede. And let's do that. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. I'm going to pray. And before they start to play, I'm just going to give you a moment of quiet there. And if you want to just, you know, if there's somebody next to you and they know that person. You can pray for them by name. If you just want to bow your head and quietly pray, it's fine. If you don't know that person, I promise you there's a lot of moms and dads in this room and grandmas and grandpas that would love to have you pray for their loved one to come back to the Lord. We have the, experienced the privilege of meeting with Jesus, but we have the responsibility as his servants that know what's coming to intercede so take a moment and pray right now.